Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But my, have, what um, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 130 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and I am all alone in the rack shack tonight. Uh, it is super duper windy outside, so I am going to try and get out of here a little bit quick. Uh, I wanted to get something out for the weekend, but uh, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. First and foremost, Krieg here, WDP20, get 20% off your first purchase. It's really awesome. It's a great company, guys. Great people, great products. You will absolutely love it. Get signed up for their VIP deals. Uh, they send out deals weekly. They got you know sales going on all the time. I think right now the uh, the Guardian late season bibs are on sale, which is super awesome. Uh, go check them out. Uh, secondly, VIP archery, the best broadheads out there, guys. We really love them. Killed a ton of deer with them, and they are just, I mean, it's insane blood. Absolutely insane. They're made in America. Really great people. We love to stand behind them. Go check them out. I don't know if they got any deals going on right now. I think Chuck mentioned one last uh, episode. Um, but go check them out. Really great people. Matt and Cindy Futere, super cool. Um, the Great American Outdoor Show is coming. Uh, check out Scree. They'll be there. I don't believe VIP will be. Um, we will be there first weekend and second weekend. Shoot us a message and uh, we'll see if we can meet up. That'd be cool. Uh, other than that, guys, I just wanted to get something out for you. I hope you guys have a good weekend. If anybody's getting out in one of the special regulation areas, good luck to you. Season's coming up to an end here. But anybody else out there in any of the other states, good luck. Be safe. Here's the episode. All right, guys, we are back with another episode. And this guest here is also long overdue, as most of our guest list is. But we have Bill Thompson here from Spartan Forge. Bill, I know we've had this kind of in the works last year. We we 
just missed that entirely. But I'm glad to kind of buckle you down, not on your birthday this time, and get you on the show. <laughs> so what's going on, man? How are you? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, uh, everything happens in like that small period of time. Um, and now I've just decided to add something to it. Growing up, my birthday is the 28th of December. So I would always get birthday cards and Christmas presents or Christmas presents and birthday cards at the same time. And now I decided to go and get married on the 30th of December. So now <laughs> I'm going to have, you know, Christmas, my birthday, my wedding anniversary, and then New Year's Eve all within like seven days. So uh, <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be a bad time in the future for podcasting as well, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad to be here and, and glad to be on with you guys. That's awesome, man. Holy smokes. No, I can imagine. That's probably just an insane time of year for you. I can't even really fathom that, to be honest. But <laughs> yeah, I kind of stuck along the same line. So my birthday's August 17th, and I got married August 15th, so I can kind of remember pretty well. <laughs> yeah, right. You know it's coming around the bend. Yeah. Well, we are happy to have you on to go get an anniversary present. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, we're happy to have you on as well. And uh, like I said, it's it's great to kind of pin you down and at least in a corner for a little while and get this thing rolling. So, I mean, before we jump into all the real good, uh, the real good stuff about Spartan Forge and everything else, we like to kind of set the history, set the tone with kind of a background of who you are, where you're from and kind of how you got to where you're at today. Oh, man. How long do you guys have? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, long, very long story short, uh, I grew up in North Dakota, um, kind of did a little bit of whitetail hunting, um, joined the military. Um, I, I had a brother-in-law that got me serious into bow hunting whitetails. Um, I joined the military to kind of leave North Dakota just because I had no interest in what was going on. wasn't a farmer. I wasn't a banker that gave loans to farmer, and I wasn't willing to be a waiter. I would serve food to farmers. So I decided I needed to get out of North Dakota. Uh, the military was kind of like the great, the best way to do that. Um, and uh, so I joined the military and um, kind of started in the intelligence realms uh, and, and kind of balanced between early on in my career, language, a couple languages, Intel. Um, obviously the war happened. So all of that stuff kind of took a backseat to, you know, deploying and going to war. Um, I spent, you know, many years, almost six years of my military career uh, deployed overseas to combat operations, uh, mostly focusing, again, on intelligence collection, uh, document media forensics, um, human intelligence, signals intelligence, and cyber stuff, like on-network on, on um, offensive cyber operations. Think of it as, like, ethical hacking. Uh, and while I, I, I kind of balanced in between deploying and doing operations, then coming back and developing capability to, um, uh, to conduct operations. And while I was doing a lot of this work, I, I just saw a lot of parallels with white-tailed deer hunting and kind of the targeting problem that a, that a white-tailed uh, deer hunter or any hunter for that matter kind of experiences. And we were coming up with new and innovative ways to solve these problems for military commanders and for soldiers out there on the front lines. And I just started taking notes as I did this and uh, just, you know, every time I'd come up with an idea for something I wanted to build for the military, inevitably there would be some kind of parallel with a hunter. And I just kept this like green notebook that I still have over here. That's got more ideas than I think I'll ever be able to build of things that, you know, would help the hunter and help military guys. So one of the biggest problems with R and D or development 
research and development and R&D is um, you, you want to do two things when you're developing capabilities, especially capabilities that are going to help people in their lives around the line. You want to fail quickly and um, often. And if you can do those two things, like kind of, all right, go down this route, that doesn't work, all right? I, I, like you kind of have a set of ideas of things that you want to develop, and then you need to go out and, and, and figure out quickly which ones don't work and then move on to the next one. You don't want to fail slowly. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but you want to fail quickly because there's so many ways to tackle a problem. So, it, you know, I, I know I don't have all of the answers, so I just explore, explore every every possible avenue that I have towards solving a problem. And generally that means first failing a bunch of times at that problem. And um, so fail fast, fail often, and then find the right answer and, and develop it. And I did that while I was in the military. So when it comes to, you know, I don't want to get esoteric or in the weeds, but when it comes to the, like creating the right user database for a software application, you know, I did it in the military and I failed five or six times doing it wrong or it was it was not quite what the soldier needed or it, it didn't it didn't uh, extend itself into the appropriate amount of software applications on different phones um, or there wasn't portability with what was being done. So you kind of figure out what works and then I don't have to reinvent that wheel whenever I'm doing the same thing for a software application. I just look like, all right, boom, I know I want to use Amazon Cognito and that's the best you know, out of everything that I've tried, that's there. So it kind of affords me an advantage when I'm doing Spartan Forge stuff. But uh, that's basically how I got from there to here. And, you know, as short of amount of time as possible without belaboring at all. But um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I, I retired uh, a year ago this November. And uh, I've been working on Spartan Forge ever since I retired. And, uh, you know, I've been, it's crazy to think about, but I've been, you know, doing almost twice the hours that I was doing while I was in the military since I've gotten out and I've been focusing on Spartan Forge, just gas pedal to the floor, um, you know, going as hard as I can. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, a new set of challenges to say the least. Yeah, man, I can only imagine, you know, first of all, thank you for your service that that's yeah, incredible absolutely, that you man. retired from the military. That, that takes a very well, special person to do that. Thanks for your patriotism. That's in short supply these days. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't go down that road, but you're damn right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of wild to think about you putting in even more time now, like you said, than you were when you were in the military. But kind of that whole background explains what Spartan Forge is and where we're going to get into with Spartan Forge. But I mean, the the hunting stuff. I mean, did you, did you grow up with that passion? Was that something you did as a kid a lot with whitetail hunting? Was there, you know, a mentor you had, or how'd that work out? No, I'd like to say that uh, there was. I mean, I would go hunting with people every once in a while. It's more of like a cultural thing in North Dakota rather than it is an addiction. Like even today, you're, you'll everybody you could throw a football and hit in in a crowd is what is gun hunting come the opener. Sure, but. Um, very few people are like bow hunting or going out there and, you know, off season scouting, um, a lot of places you can get away without doing that. So it's just like a different type of culture out there. So I'd like to say I grew up doing that stuff, but I really didn't. It was more like a cultural thing for me growing up. What I did grow up doing, um, well, it's, it's a much longer story, but essentially I, I kind of was scatterbrained and had no idea what I wanted to do when I was a child, um, g going into my teenage years. Um, one year for Christmas, I want to say I was maybe 
in third or fourth grade or something like that. Um, my mother had gotten me a, a crystal controlled radio, um, just like a radio kit to just get, you know, short and long wave radio signals through like ter terrestrial signals um, bouncing through the atmosphere. And the first time I kind of tuned up a signal from Vietnam was the first time I was able to sit down and just really focus on something. And the whole prospect that I was getting this signal through the air from across the world. And I was just this like 10 or 11 year old kid that was doing this. That was like the first time I could really sit down and focus myself. Um, I've never been able to, I've never had uh, the, I never had the ability when I was a kid, when it came to like kid, kid, when I was a kid to like learning English or when I was learning mathematics, it was all too abstract to me and there was no useful application for it. It was just something I was being taught and the teachers really weren't like tying it together. But yeah. the first time that I tuned up a signal on this like crystal radio kit that my mother had gotten me, now I wanted to know how was that possible? This, how does this make sense? And I just started reading about all of this stuff at a very young age and um, was interested into it, interested in it kind of peripherally. So I would say if there was anything to answer your question, and I don't have any short answers these days because um, I try <laughs> to, you know, be as forthright and as open about myself when I'm doing these things so that people, I think people enjoy it more, but essentially to answer your question, the long form is what I kind of took from my youth from that time really wasn't whitetail hunting. It was more problem solving and that problem solving kind of spurred or was kind of surrounds things that I was interested in. And at that time it was like radios and the radio frequency and the electromagnetic spectrum and invisible spectrum and that type of stuff. And, that's kind of how I got lucked out into my military career and, and, and just was able to get paid to keep doing that type of stuff. Yeah. I just find it. It's, it's kind of funny because if you think about it, like anybody that would tell you, if, if you're going to want to never work a day in your life, basically, you know, love what you do kind of thing. Right. So you've tied a passion of yours, which is what you got into kind of with all of this technology and, you know, um, finding, people more or less like what you did in the military yeah. and your in yeah. what your skills were but you tied it back to deer hunting and that's kind of where i'm like why why deer hunting you know where did it come to you that was it just something like you know because growing up that's really you know like you said that's what you had you either had you know hunting farming or whatever your interests were so you kind of tied it back to something that i would have thought you know if you're going to create something in the deer hunting world or or join this you know, um, this area of expertise, like s most people have a huge, strong passion for it. They grew up doing it. They love it. You know, that's why they go back and get back into something hunting related. It's kind of what I was digging for, but it's, it's interesting that you're kind of a little different story on how you got to bring it all together. Yeah. I, I mean, bow hunting for me got big. My brother, my brother-in-law, Alan, um, what is getting into bow hunting and just basically told me like, you should, you know, take it up and try it out. And he kind of talked me into it. I was actually kind of really didn't want to even do it. Like I was home for some leave from the military. I think it was 25 or 26 years old. Um, and my mother had a huge property out in North Dakota and I just totally lucked out. Just like got into an area, got on some deer, sent an arrow right over a deer's back and kind of just got the bug from that moment on. And then that became like a okay. new problem that I wanted to solve. Um, and, and really like my thing is um, I, I love problem solving. I love pulling the threads on things and understanding how they work. I have a very addictive personality. Um, 
And when I get when I get interested into something or motivated to do something, you, you know, we got all this talk today about like kids with ADD or ADHD and stuff like that. Um, I think what we have is just disinterested children. Definitely. I mean, I I had I was diagnosed with ADHD as a child. They were trying to prescribe this stuff for me. Thank God my mother didn't do it, like the Ritalin and all of that stuff. Because right, right. the other kid in my class about it didn't end up well. Um, but it, once I was doing something I was interested, I was so laser focused and I had so much energy to commit to that. Um, there's a great book that I talked about another guy in the pro staff with, and, and I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's called like A Hunter in a Farmer's World, I think is what it's called. And basically what it's talking about is um, most people are built to be like the farmer agricultural type. Really, our society is born out of the agricultural um, revolution where, you know, we could never, a hunter-gatherer society could never sustain the numbers of people that we have today. But once we had farming, then we could do it. And and most people are kind of tilted towards the systematic approach to farming where, you know, you, you have to be able to do abstraction. You have to be able to plant things in the ground in a straight line. You need to make sure your soil is correct. There's so much attention to detail and there's so much that goes into it. And most people um, have that framework, in, at least in the classroom. And the classrooms are really built around the framework of training people. That's why we have the bells and the lunch hour and all of that stuff was meant to, it was a uh, oppression model that was meant to um, make good factory workers. Most people can do pretty well in that model. What we find is a society, the people that can't are often young men. Um, and those young men have a hunter's circuit. They want to go out and do things. They want to challenge systems. They want to challenge discipline. They want to challenge limits. Um, they want to push themselves and others around them. They want to fight. They want to, you know, break something. They want to shoot a deer. They want to track an animal. And and the, our school system today doesn't serve that individual well. We we tell them that there's something wrong with them, when in fact it's just that they have a hunter circuit and they're in a farmer's world, um, and, and their circuitry isn't fit for that place. That is 100% my story. Once I had the motivation and what I wanted to get after, and what I understood motivated me, there was no limit to the energy that I could devote to it and to put myself into it. So um, hunting just became one of the, to kind of put a bow on what you had brought up before, this addictive personality of mine, like I had a father-in-law that tell me, told me when I was young that I was too, you know, I'm about six foot, six one, in my prime, and I was in the military, I was probably 205 pounds right now, I'm probably about 240, but um, he was like, oh, you're too big and bulky to be a golfer, you'll never be a good golfer, and to have like a, the only male figure in my life, my father died when I was young, tell me that I wasn't going to be good at golfing, I golfed till I had like a two handicap, which <laughs> is about 96% of, of, of golfers will never get there. Yeah. But I was so driven and just hyper-focused and this addictive personality of mine. It was all I thought about and all I did for probably five or six years. But then the problem with that was once I got to this level where I felt like I was really good, I just abandoned it. You got burned out. I was just like, all right, I'm yeah. done. Yep. On to the next thing. Um, I'm done hitting the ball straight. Um, and I'm not saying I could have made it to the PGA. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is I gotten better than most people. And it had, you know, if you're a, I wasn't a two handicap. I was like a six. If you get to a six handicap, you're, you're 95% of the people you run into on the golf course are not going to be able to play with you. 
And I just got to that point and then I moved on to the next thing. At that, at that time, it happened to be hunting. Um, and then I got into hunting and I loved the, um, you know, everybody needs a hero um, journey. And to me, one of the ultimate hero journeys is being able to walk into the chaotic woods and make sense of it and then pull some treasure out and then being able to share it with your family. And I think when you do that with a bow and arrow, you know, you walk into some place that either you've never been or maybe you've set it up for years. It doesn't matter. You're, you're confronting chaos um, in the truest form, what our ancestors have been doing for God knows how long. And then you're able to pull something out of that by making sense of something that how many people that have never hunted before walk by a scrape and have don't even know it's there. Like if you just bring someone, just think of someone who's never hunted before. You just walk through with them through the woods and tell them to pay attention. They'll walk right past a scrape. They'll walk right past a rub. They'll, they will, it's not even, they're, they're blind to it. So hunters that train themselves to make sense of that and then ultimately can go out there and get so good at it that they can repeatedly harvest food out of the woods. Um, you know, we tell stories about those people. That's what cave paintings were for, you know, of the guy that was able to go out there and kill the mastodon or the guy that was able to go out there and kill the buffalo. It undergirds our society in a very serious way. And uh, I found myself addicted to that journey. Um, and then when I started seeing these parallels in the military and these parallels in, in hunting, uh, I saw an opportunity for myself because the military instilled in me a very deep sense of purpose. And I knew that the quality of my work and the amount that I poured myself into the work would directly correlate with the safety of my brothers and that I served with and with everyone back home, whether it meant taking one more shithead terrorist, excuse me, if I'm not allowed to cut no, you're good. You're good. Taking, Go for it. taking one more, one more terrorist off the battlefield or, or produce or, or conducting some anti-terrorism force protection for a convoy. Um, there was a direct impact there and it left me feeling very fulfilled. And every time we were successful, the amount of, um, the amount of satisfaction that I felt from it was so great that I started to get anxiety about what I was going to do when I got out of the military. I was like, what in the hell am I going to be able to do? It, it, if the equivalent for a person who's never served would be like, you, you teach them how to hunt, you bring them out, they get the adrenaline dump, they kill a deer, they're shaking, it's the best thing ever, and then you tell them, you're not going to be able to do this in five years. Like, you're done doing yeah, this now. Yeah. It was the same thing in the military. I was like, what in the hell am I going to do to make myself feel this way. And the, and hunting, at first I was like, well, I'm going to be able to continue hunting. So I'll be able to kind of continue my own personal hero journey through hunting and by providing for my family. But then when I started thinking of these ideas and the ways that technology could serve the hunter and more than just providing them pins and maps and weather, um, I saw a, a, a cross, there was cross pollination there that excited me and let me know that there was something waiting for me beyond military service that would still give me that type of deep meaning um, and satisfaction that the military was giving me. And so that's, and that to me makes it easy for me to do these 16, 18 hour days. Absolutely. Um, because it, 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 it's like an invisible force that pushes you. Um, you don't need to be woke up. You are waking up. You don't need to you know, put the hours in. You want the hours. I, 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 I have spite, like, and I'm not trying to rub it into people's faces that hate their jobs because I have nothing but sympathy for them. 
but I have spite for the weekend. The weekend is reminding me that I'm running out of time, whereas a lot of people are doing the inverse. They see the they can't wait for the weekend. The weekend for me is where I can't get anyone else to help me on what I'm doing. The weekend for me is where I'm expected to go out and act like a human for a couple of nights with my family or, you know, do something. And it's not saying I hate those things. All I'm saying is, is that, you know, greatness just built on the backs of these people that find what they love and then get after it voraciously mm-hmm. and create something great for everyone else to benefit from. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I mean, very well said. And I think you and I have a very much in common as far as, you know, childhood and, and addictive personalities and everything. So everything as you were just saying, it definitely rings true to, I think, both myself and Austin definitely. and the way we both kind of work and tick. So we're, we're very much kind of the same people, but I love that you have taken, you know, your interest and have been able to kind of keep yourself busy in a way to where, like you said, you're not going to come out of the military and just have a complete, you know, breakdown of what's next, you know, what, where's my purpose? You, you went out and found a purpose. You went out and created a purpose for yourself, which I love, you know, and then you come up with this app and this, this tool that doesn't just, it's not self-serving, right? You create it, you know, maybe because like you said, other things you've done in the past, it's been so you can understand something or you can accomplish or, um, you know, be great at something. Well, with hunting, you know, you're, you've created something that has helped so many people, you know, just like your military career, you've helped so many people with this app too, because you have aspects of this app, which, you know, more or less have some predictability to them or, um, you know, we can get into the details of the app as well. Now, uh, you know, it's probably the best time for it, but you can speak on it better than I can, but I know, you know, from following you for so long, following kind of your story and how you've progressed with this thing, there are some people that swear by it. I mean, oh, they yeah. are, and, and you know what, it's not just their words They they are consistently getting it done too. So there is, you know, a little bit of evidence behind it as well. But if you want to touch a little bit on Spartan Forge and kind of what it does and the, the real, you know, meat and potatoes of what this thing is. Yeah, so I, I can kind of cover it strategically first. And I appreciate the kind words. And it really does motivate me every time. We've got more like successful stories from people messaging us saying, you know, Spartan Forge, I use it to do X, Y, or Z. Or there, there were these features here that were present that weren't present in other app, other apps or I had to go to separate disparate places in order to get these features from somewhere else. And, you know, we've only been on the market for a year. Um, and, and so to have people saying that to me and I really thought the first two years, like when I kind of looked at what I was trying to do, um, which from like a technological framework perspective was kind of like building the Titanic. I was like, I'm, this thing is not going to be useful. I thought for at least two years, like I hope people just tolerate me for the first two years. Um, but we were able to get out some features first. I focused on features first, knowing that I was going to be missing other stuff like, you know, um, sharing pins automatically through a text message or something. Like I knew I was going to have to put like the polar plot or the AI prediction or the five centimeter imagery in there because I wanted to put things in the app that weren't available on other ones because I wasn't expecting the app to come out and be able to replace everything else. I do expect that by the middle of the summer, 
it will not only have everything that everything else has, every other app has, but it'll have other things these other apps haven't even thought about. So we're almost there and I'm very thankful for everyone who has signed up, especially last year probably had to hold on to some of their other apps just to get some of the information that they wanted, but that there's this grace period that they allowed me to have where I was adopting and, and, and implementing features and that people were able to recognize about how often we were putting things out and what we were putting out and how I was interacting with the customer, that I was serious about what I was doing and my focus was, was on making hunters better um, and, 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 and doing it in a way that wasn't expensive for them from a fiduciary standpoint, that they're going to have to spend 115 or 130 bucks, um, to do that. And so the, the, what we put, what I put in this, what I wanted in Spartan Forge were these things differently that kind of set it apart. But from that strategic standpoint that I talked about before, I just, everything that I think about whenever I'm whitetail hunting, I needed like five or six websites, um, a year ago. The thing I focus on the most, and especially as I look at collared GPS data, I look at how deer react to the wind and to other hunters and to pressure and on public land and private land. You know, when it comes to getting on deer, it's all about wind. Wind has a lot to do with everything. And if you're not paying attention to the wind, you're not getting there. And a lot of these apps that were out there would kind of tell you, you know, here's the wind today or here's the wind in the seven day forecast. But they weren't telling you what the historical wind was in an area which for me, I was getting it from um, pilot websites where they would pay for boutique data about wind. So pilots want to know what precise winds are in certain areas and what the historical winds are for when they're, you know, small Cessna planes and stuff like that, where they're charting courses and they want to know what the prevailing winds are and that type of stuff. Um, I was paying for these websites to get that type of wind data. So one of the first things I implemented was this polar plot where when you understand what the prevailing wind is in an area over a one year period or two year period, and then you know what the wind is in September, you can actually do meaningful digital scouting that'll allow you to, you know, get rid of half of the map when it comes to wanting to scout an area because you know that these areas wouldn't suit the predominant wind in the area. So I, I those were the, some of the first things that we came out with, but that again, that strategic standpoint was, I want to isolate every factor that goes into my my planning process and then find something in the technological art of possible that I can roll into this application that will allow someone to spend a little less time uh, doing the research or pulling the data from different places and then put it all in one place for them and not overcharge them for it and then continue to push technological capacity as I provide these kind of foundational capabilities. So that that's really the strategic level. That's what Spartan Forge is. If you have to know something about an area or about white-tailed deer or about their forecasted movement or the forecasted weather or what the ground looks like or what the topo maps look like or it's very soon what the LIDAR maps look like or how you and your buddies might be able to all pair up and go attack a place, whether it's on a drive or it's turkeys or it's, or it's splitting up a lease or whatever it is, that all of this gets done in one place so that you're more efficient with your time, you're more efficient with your scouting, and you're more deadly when it comes to your execution phase of your hunt. So, that, you know, that's the strategic, that's the, that's the strategic axis that you can look at Spartan Forge from. I'm always trying to put those things in there. And, you know, we're doing it with a crew of like seven guys and we're working around the clock and we're, we're doing it against businesses 
that are raising, you know, I, one of the, one of my competitors just raised like $86 million. Um, I don't even know what I'd do with that type of money. Um, <laughs> what I do know is what it costs me to run this business. And it's a hundredth of that. Um, and, and, but I'm still providing 95% of the capability that they have. Um, and I'm better than them in a lot of places. And that's going to continue to be how I run this ship. And on top of that, the, the consumer has direct access to me. There's nobody in this on Instagram or Messenger, Facebook. It doesn't matter. Um, my email is out there. People can reach out directly to me. And I, I answer about 80, 85% of the customer inquiries. And, and whenever there's a serious problem about something that a hunter has or an account was lost or whatever, um, I make sure that my team passes them straight to me because I want my ear to the ground when it comes to what people are doing. And I feel like that is the proper way to run a business, especially when you're talking about the hunting market where, you know, the majority of our, of our market is middle to lower class that doesn't have money to waste. So I am going to be as efficient as I can with their dollar. And I think that people over time will recognize that and uh and choose to do business with it with us as a result of it because um they know that from every aspect where uh there's nothing about us that's disingenuous and we're trying to bring as much technological capacity and and minimize their time so that they can be uh as smart with their vacation days and their time away from family as possible i mean that's pretty well said i you know i know there's a lot more than that if you really look at it and kind of break it down from like me looking at it right but i want you to go into some of the details on too yes. you know with like the full range you know transition and and kind of you know I've, I've when i hear about spartan forge i think the most you know we hear about is when people are talking about these full range days right that that's that's what m the majority of the people kind of really dial in on i know they're looking at the weather i know they're looking at the wind i I know that stuff is just automatic with anybody that's going to kill a deer and be consistent at it. But it's like they always mention these, these, you know, predictions or, or whatnot of like the full range data and whatnot. So if you can go into that detail, that'd be, uh, that'd be great. Sure. So we, we use artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence to most people is, I think, a scary term. It really shouldn't be. Um, what artificial intelligence is, is pattern recognition. You're just using a computer to do it instead of a human. So as humans, we recognize patterns. We're pattern machines. Um, you know, the, the left and right hemisphere of our brain, our left side is meant to deal with pattern, or I'm sorry, our left side is meant to deal with things that we haven't patterned, and our right side is meant to deal with things that are patterned. So when we encounter something we don't know, you're dealing with the left side of your brain. When you're encountering something that you've known a million times, you're dealing with your right and your right back side of your brain, like your lizard brain. So when you are playing a guitar, the first time you pick it up, you're dealing with a different part of your brain than it is the 10,000th time that you, you're, you're, pick, you're picking up a guitar. Um, those pattern recognition machines are the same types of things that we build into artificial intelligence and that we're just using a computer to recognize the pattern instead of a brain. Um, so these pattern recognition machines, essentially I feed them collared GPS data, um, uh, weather data, topography data, vegetative cover data, high resolution maps. Um, and then we show the deer, the, the prediction system, all of these patterns. And then we ask it to recognize based on future events, mainly based off of weather, what patterns we can expect out of the machine. 
So the easy way to think about this is deer basically have three, three different areas for their range. So you can think of this as like concentric circles. There's a very small circle in the middle and we can call that like their core area or their bedding area. And then there's a larger circle around that that we can think of as like their transition area. They're not spending a lot of their nighttime there, but they use it to get from their bedding area to the area where they want to feed or that they want to spend time or if they want to be around other deer. And then there's the largest area, which is if you were to take these GPS colored points on these deer and just plot them all on a map, that would be the deer's full range. But then if you were to look at where they spend most of their daytime hours, that would be their core area. And then everything else is kind of like this transition area, which is in between. So I can break this down in a way that I think will make sense to most hunters. If you have a agricultural setting where you have a block of timber and then you have a cornfield to the north, the block of timber where the deer is in its daylight hours, okay, and where he is, he or she is bedding during the day and where they feel safe would be the core area. Now, a lot of you've heard people use the, have you heard people use the term like staging area? Oh, yep. definitely. Yep. Yep. So the staging area would be what's part of the transition area. So it's an area that you might be able to sneak into and you'd expect to see the deer in like the last half hour of sunlight before they head out to where they want to go feed. Where they want to be feed would be the rest of their range or their full range area. So what we taught the machine to do is recognize when are they during daylight hours for the majority of the daylight hours staying in their core area. In other words, they'd be more difficult to hunt. When are they getting into these transition areas? Then when could you expect to find them anywhere in their range? So you can think about it this way. Uh, you're driving to work and you drive by a field every day that's a cornfield. You never see deer in it, or let's not say corn because you wouldn't see them during the day. Let's say it's a soybean field. You never see deer in the soybean field ever. Then suddenly one day at lunch, you're driving back from seeing your wife at, at lunch hour and you're seeing 33 deer in this field, just a ton of deer. You've just never seen deer in this field. The machine would recognize that as a full range as a full range day because the deer are going into areas that they normally reserve for nighttime hours or that are not normally part of their daytime range. So the machine is taught based on the weather and, and, and it gets complicated, but any system that is just looking at the day of weather um, by definition can't be correct because the reason why the deer are making their decisions are more based on all of the days leading up to that day. It almost has nothing to do with the actual day itself. It's got more to do with how much food was available. Was there a drought this year? Um, what did the crop look like? Um, what are the winds like? Are, have there been bad weather events? All of those things are going to drive and control the amount of fat that is on that white-tailed deer, which when you now have a storm front moving in, say October 5th, 15th, the amount of fat that is present on that white-tailed deer population is going to uh, influence whether or not they're willing to risk their neck to go and feed earlier than they otherwise would. So the machine picks up on all of that. I feed it all of that information. So I'll, I'll take uh, I, you know, I work prolifically with Alabama. So Alabama um, collars all of these deer. Um, I actually did a podcast with Seek One and the Alabama. Um, Steve Dishkoff is his name. He's the head um, uh, biologist at um, Auburn and does all of the collar GPS studies. I'll, he'll, he'll collar a deer for eight years. So I'll be looking at many, 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 many deer, you know, hundreds of deer. And... <clears throat> 
the machine is trying to pick up when are they leaving their core areas earlier than other times. Now, of course, people are more people are more attracted to the term full range because ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel it anytime without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Inherently, the deer is taking more risk on a full-range day than it would on other days. But it's not from a heuristic standpoint or from like a good enough, I shouldn't say heuristic, from like a good enough rule standpoint, you can have just, here's a, here's the example. Full range isn't always the best. Why is full range not always the best? Well, one reason why full range isn't always the best is if you are only hunting the deer in their core areas, you wouldn't want a full range day. Right, right. The reason why is because you're going to go in there and just pollute that area with scent when those deer are either going to be out of there earlier or back in there later than they otherwise would be, which means that you're just educating these deer that this is no longer a safe bedding area. So if you're going to go hunt deer in their, in their, in their core area, you want, you want to make sure it's core area day. And if you're going to be doing that with like, you know, a seven, eight, nine year old buck, um, I like the core area days better because, most of the other deer have cleared out or are not in that area or they're not choosing the bedding that this mature buck is. And you want them in that core area for as long as possible. It's no good for you to go in and hunt a, a seven, eight year old, nine year old, really wily, wily mature buck where you know where you're getting to him is embedding on a full range day. Cause he might not even be in there. Um, so it, it really, really what the, the network is trying to tell you is just where you can expect to find the deer in their range. Now, if you don't know the deer or you don't know the buck that you're going after and and you're having to make assumptions or you've just done some speed scouting or you're in an area where you're not allowed to drop cameras, then, yeah, I probably would focus on the transition areas and wait for transition area days and full range days. That's probably the majority of hunters, too, is like they just don't have the time to be out there like an Andy May or a Johnny Stewart or someone like that who is spending, you know, 40 hours a month scouting um, and, and and maybe 5% of that time is actually spent hunting. So yeah, I see the attraction there, but that, that's essentially what the neural network is doing is it's looking at all of those factors and then it's making a guess based on the patterns that it's observed. And then we test it using data that it's never seen. So I'll pull, I might use 80%. So say from Auburn or from the university of Texas tech or someone like that, they give me 25 deer 
that have been wearing collars for four years. I'll take 20 of those deer and train a model based on 20 of those deer. Or another thing that we'll do is we will slice off at the 80, maybe for the first four or three years, we train with that data and then we test it with the fourth year of data. In other words, it's data that it's never seen. Right. We never train the model with data that it's seen because that would be like telling a kid answers to the test before you give them the test. So we separate that data out. Um, but what we know is, is that the machine is predicting correctly on where the deer will be in the range uh, between 65 and 70% of the time, which I think is about as good as it's going to get. I don't it's think we're actually going to awesome. get a lot better than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's good. I think what we might be able to do is introduce more buckets. So we might be able to have like a super core area day or it's like really locked down, no movement whatsoever. And then maybe they'll be moving more in their core and then a train or a, or a, a full range and then like a crazy range or something like that. Like I don't, maybe we basically what I'm saying is maybe we can do five buckets instead of three. Right. But, um, we're not going to get much more accurate than this because we're just dealing with wild animals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes sense too. There's, there's a lot of other factors, especially when you're talking about trying to do something like this. And I know you, you work with guys like Johnny Stewart and Bill Martonic and some guys that hunt some pretty big woods and some pressured land. And, you know, there's always the pressure factor. You never know who's been in there before you, if you're, you're trying to do this on public land. So, I mean, all of, those factors that you can put into place, I mean, they can easily be disrupted by somebody that, you know, comes in downwind from where that core area is the day before or, you know, the morning of. Um, so there's a lot of additional factors that you're never going to get. Like yeah. you said, you're never going to get 100 percent. You're never going to get 90 percent, you know, but 65, 70, that's that's pretty damn good. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'd be yeah. happy with like 50 percent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you make an astute point in that these are wild animals and you're never going to be able to predict this perfectly and you don't know what else is going on in the deer, wood, deer woods because this is just a general neural network. It's just basically, the way I look at the neural network, it's certainly not an end-all be-all. But if I've got, if, if the wife is giving me clearance to hunt two days in the next two weeks, that's when I go to the neural network. Makes you know, sense. That's when yeah. I'm really consulting this thing. Um, when I'm when I'm trying to do scouting in areas, um, I, I consult the neural network. If I if, if I'm going to go and scout some bedding, I will wait for a full range day, and then I'll get in there as it's starting to be sundown and look around. I, I will use it in an opposite way that people think, and it's not always right. And I, I certainly bump deer, but it's just really it's all it is is a tool in the tool bag. That's that's all it is, and it's not an end all be all. It, it, you should hunt when you have time to hunt. This does not replace scouting. I always equate it with like, if you've got a grandfather whose property you're hunting, maybe is 80 acres, you would be stupid not to listen to that guy when it comes to where are the tree stands, where should I, you know, those people know when you run across a tree stand that someone risked their neck to go hang up in the woods, they put it there for a reason. They know what they're doing. Uh, they wouldn't do, they wouldn't do all that if they didn't know that was the spot. It's kind of the same way. It's just helping people that might not have the time and you don't have, you know, my brother's an electrician. He gets like seven days off a year. Um, I, I want him to be as successful. I want him to put meat on the table. I want him to be able to do that hero cycle. Every male and female for that matter, but it's, I think it's more important for men, but everybody should be able to, to go out and 
confront the chaos of the whitetail woods and pull something out of it and then watch their family members enjoy it. And if a dude's only got seven days a year to do that, I am so tired of seeing like, I just made a post the other day um, where it was uh, our neural network had made some predictions on deer movement on a piece of ground in Pennsylvania, just basically how a deer would be moving. And some guy was like, maybe that electrician should look differently at how he scouts or how he hunts and blah, 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 blah. Like, who are you to judge right. these guys that have three, four, five, six days a year to hunt? Yeah. Like, shut up. I'm just trying to give them a little bit of a leg up so that they can go out and put some food on the table and feel good about themselves and do something, a pastime that they love, that they're probably not being able to get after like, like they'd like to because they are supporting their family and putting a roof over their heads. Maybe softball games are more important than antlers to them. And don't project yourself onto them because they still want to be able to go out and have a good time and see some deer. Like, get out. Get, oh, I'm so tired of those people. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like I'm trying to build a drone that's going to go out and shoot these things with a, with a missile. I'm just trying to give people a little bit of a heads up and build a product that's all-encompassing so that when they, when they can get out there and they're telling their wife, hey, please take care of the baby and the kids and – I'm taking this day off from vacation that we could use to go and be together because I really want to do this. I would like to make that as successful as possible. And, and if I have even the smallest hand in that, then awesome. Um, you're, you're certainly not going to be able to abuse it, the system that I'm making. You know why? Because I've looked at the colored GPS data. It is daunting when you look at how wily old six, seven, eight-year-old bucks act I've, I've got GPS studies where I know where the, the people are going in to hunt. I know at times they're going in there. I can plot their courses to the stands that they're sitting, and then I watch the bucks react to them. The bucks know they're in there. They're scenting them. They're walking their scent trails. They, 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 they win them after they've been in there, and they avoid the stands. I mean, these deer, especially the mature old ones, have our number, and I'm getting to be more and more of the camp that when you're killing a white-tailed deer – it's probably 80% luck. A, a big, wily, old, white-tailed deer. Yeah. It's 80, 90% luck, and then maybe 10% persistence. And I'm not saying, that's not to say that we shouldn't do it. All that I'm saying is, is that we're not giving people a magic, you know, this is not the sort of Excalibur that I'm giving you to go and smite the dragon in the, in the, in the, in the you know, this is not that. It's just <laughs> another tool in the tool bag to help people out. Um, and so, yeah, I don't even respond to those guys, but it fires me up. Um, just because the way that, you know, that is, Oh no, I, I get it. I, I couldn't agree more. First off, yeah, <laughs> we, we all know the idiots on the internet. I mean, we, the guys that, uh, just tell you, you know, well, maybe they should get another job or maybe they should do this because they can hunt all the time. And, you know, we, we face that, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania with the no Sunday hunting and the biggest argument against the people, you know, you start saying, Hey, wait, wait a second. You know, I, I work Monday through Friday. I can only hunt on Saturday. So, you know, in a seven week season, like we have an archery, you know, I might get seven, eight days to hunt. And that's if weather's permitting, you know, we could, you know, a couple of times on the weekends, the one year, it was just like every weekend we were having the worst possible, you know, 40 mile per hour winds stuff. You just, we hunt pretty intense stuff, but that you just almost can't, um, you know, we, we still did, but not successfully. Right. Freaking bureaucrats. 
Yeah, and and you got the guys that are like, well, hey, you know, Sunday hunting will just get a job where you not working just on the weekends because you can just pick and choose whatever you want to do apparently now and just choose yeah. your own schedule. You know, f corporate America. Our economy is so good right now yeah. that you can just go do whatever job you want. You don't have to worry about yeah. feeding your family. And, and on top of that, like that angers me too because it's like some freaking bureaucrat in a government office. He's yeah. telling me that I can't go provide food for my family it's on a Sunday. Yeah. Can I grocery shop on Sunday? <laughs> right. Am I allowed to do that? We can gamble. Like, we can buy alcohol like, now. We can do everything that the blue laws had initially outlawed except hunt on Sundays. Yeah. And, and, the, and the other thing about I had a discussion with a guy. Uh, I, was, I won't mention names, but I was at a, um, uh, a hunting show and I had gone for dinner with a guy that night and um, was like, well, aren't you? Yeah, like concerned about people having too much capability or too much capacity or too, you know, something along those lines. He was actually interviewing me for an article. And I said, you know, the majority of hunters are just happy to put a doe down and they're doing this because they want to eat and they want to have some fun while they're doing it and provide some food for their family. So if they're having, if they have technology, if you need technology to, would you agree that you need technology to, to get to work? They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you need a vehicle to get to work, don't you? He's like, well, yes. I'm like, well, why are you going to work? Well, to provide for your family. Well, should we restrict people from having YouTube videos to fix their own vehicles so that they are less in- enabled when it comes to providing for their families? Like, what is the even balance that you're trying to achieve here? And to what end is it? Like, what? where else shall we limit capacity? Like, somebody's telling me it, the irony of somebody being on Instagram on their smartphone, a feat that was impossible 25 years ago, to communicate with someone across the world in seconds telling me I shouldn't be using technology while I'm hunting. <laughs> so you're saying that, you can't say that on a smartphone. You can't say that on a smartphone. It's like, send that message to me by courier pigeon. Yeah. And then we'll have the discussion. And go out hunting with your Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, think about the technology that goes into a Hoyt bow or into Google Maps to get to your spot. Can you use Google Maps to get to the parking lot? Right. Because that's far more technology than I have access to. It's far more access or, or, or far more expensive of an app. So where does your line, where is your, can I talk to my grandfather who's been hunting this land for 50 years? Because that's far more useful than my app. Yeah. So which is it? Yeah. Like what, do we have to walk into the woods blindfolded and be spun around three times before I can go and hunt somewhere? Like what do you need? What's going to make you feel better about the fact that you're not killing deer? Right. That's what it boils down to. You know, people that are consistent, like I, I want to cover real quick, like the, I was looking just at kind of like your, the pros that are behind you here. I mean, you got Andy May, we mentioned, Bo Martonic, the Seek One guys, Garrett Prawl, Johnny Stewart, Levi Morgan, Taylor Chamberlain. That lineup right there. That's a dream team, dude. Holy shit. Now those guys get it done. Yeah. Like they get it done. Every right? one of them. And for, all of them to say what they've said about your product, I mean, it, it's it's telling, right? It, it is something special. But, you yeah, know, I mean, these the guys are killing what everybody else wants to kill, right? And that's where that envy comes in, that hunter's envy, that that possession of envy where guys are killing deer that are theirs and whatnot. And that that's what I mean. Like, you look at these guys, you look at what you've been able to, you know, accomplish with them and 
I'm just saying, you know, that's probably where a lot of this comes from because that's what it always boils down to is it's some kind of envy or some kind of problem where these guys aren't successful in their own life or happy in their own life, so they have to project that onto others. Yeah, projection is the exact right word. Um, that is exactly what it is. I feel deficient in some way, and instead of taking self-accountability and analyzing what the issues are that I have when I confront the world, it's much easier for me to hate that to recognize that counterpoint in you and then hate it in you. That, that makes me, I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm dealing with it in a separate way by ascribing the behavior to you and calling you the asshole instead of dealing with it myself, which is 95% of adults these days and most people don't even recognize it. It's almost the first, and I'm not perfect by any means. In fact, I'm probably the most less, least perfect person in the room. Anytime I don't like someone and it's not, for no good reason, I automatically try to self-reflect and say, what is this guy doing correctly that you're not, that has made you instinctually hate him uh, without even knowing the person or what they're doing? Because that, pulling that thread will teach you a lot about yourself. That's fair. And, yeah. and, and make you understand a lot of times. So when people get online and they do, they do this thing, um, it, it just, it angers me because they're also making other people feel guilty about using a product because they want to be more successful in the woods. Um, this app's not going to teach you anything um, that, or it's not going to show you anything that is going to give you a, a, a secret key to killing deer. That is not, it's going to help you understand things better, but to speak, speak to your pro staff point, I'm very specific about the pro staffers and the people that I want to bring on and the criteria that I use to evaluate the people that I want to bring on. And it's got nothing to do with following. And I say that because if you go deeper down in our Instagram or our Facebook and you see some of the other guys, I am I, these other guys that we have that you didn't mention follow the same path and they're just at a different timeline in their life. Like there's another guy, there's a couple of other guys that in the presence guys, um, oh, yeah. I believe are going to be okay. I, I believe that they're going to be big here in a few years. Hell yeah. Um, he's constantly going out there and doing the same thing. But what I try to do with all of these guys, what I try, what I, what I'm, what I'm looking for these guys and these girls is, are they truthful? Um, is, is their style of hunting something that anybody could learn? Are they humble? Um, and, and, and are they, cause there are these just talking mouths out there that you could throw a hundred thousand dollars at and they'll say whatever that you need them to say about your, about your product. And the moment you're done paying for, or the moment you can't afford them, they're gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, the pro staff that I have right now, if I said to them, hey, guys, we didn't make, you know, we didn't make budget this year. Um, it's going to be tough uh, paying you guys. I have no doubt out of the names that you just mentioned, they would all say, we can wait till next year, Bill. It's no problem. I would and, agree. and they would be right there with me. And and they look at the product and they know what I'm building and they know the, the trajectory and they know what I'm trying to get out there in the future. And they believe in it unequivocally where they've left very lucrative contracts with other companies because they believe in what we're doing. Um, and, and so it really, it's just the greatest blessing um, for myself as a CEO to be surrounded by these people um, and to have them genuinely care about what we're doing um, and where we're going. And that this is just not another faceless corporation like the other applications and products that are out there, that this is actually something that's built by hunters and for hunters and with hunters that will ultimately benefit them in the final analysis and not some uh, corporation. 
Definitely. And I can speak to a couple of those guys also having knowing several of them and having several of them on the podcast. Mm -hmm. They are all really genuinely great people and great hunters at that too. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, while we're on the topic and then we have one other thing that one of our Patreon members wanted us to ask in more detail, but while we're on the topic, you know, we kind of mentioned about, uh, what you see on the internet. And one of the biggest things when you're talking about, you know, the product that you provide, you hear people say this, and I'll guarantee you, you've heard this probably the most of any phrase. I'm never going to let an app tell me when to hunt. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, yeah. that's yeah. what I see all the time. And that's not what you're doing, obviously. But, you know, yeah. how, how do you address that if you see that? Well, the first, it kind of uh, kind of harkens back to what I said before about the prediction, yeah. which is the full range. The, 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 that's not telling you to hunt unless you truly don't know the whitetail population that you're going after. Um, it, it's not really telling you when to hunt. It's more or less telling you where they will be in their range, not if you should hunt them or not. Um, but also, um, the people, you, you know, there, there's like this tribe of, uh, I'm trying to remember the Luddites were these, this term for people that were around, I want to say the 1800s and probably jacking this up, but they basically didn't want to improve the way that cotton was made or cotton gins or cotton milk, something along those lines. So they went and burned down all of these businesses that were coming up with these new ways to make cotton. And, and those are the people that I think these Luddites are the people that, and I got that wrong. I'm sure I got that wrong. <laughs> the bottom line is there was a new type of technology coming out. It was affecting their bottom line. And so they went down and burned, burned down the factories that were producing these things. You could think of it this way. All of the guys that were draw, that were horse and buggy taxi drivers saw that the car was coming. So they went and burned down all of the places where the car was. <laughs> and it's just like this fear of technology and this fear of advancement, which I understand, like there are definitely things about technology that bother me, um, especially when it comes down to the morals and the ethics that are being employed behind the scenes when we're training things like artificial intelligences. And I could spend a podcast, I could spend three hours talking about morals and artificial intelligence, and I read and, and think about it and write often on it. This is not the place for it. But I'm essentially just trying to give people a little bit of an edge so that they can understand a little bit more about these animals that we are woefully undermatched when we go out and try to kill them against, especially in a public land setting, um, and give them that little bit of enjoyment. But they also can just use the mapping and the pin dropping and that not use that part of the application. And I promise you it's going to be – they'll be more successful for just using that um, when it comes down to things like five centimeter imagery or our property annotation stuff, our polar plots, our journaling, all of these things that I've involved, like journaling is one of the biggest things that I most see most people complaining about not killing deer don't do. And then when I encounter people that kill the most deer, Johnny Stewart, um, Andy May, the Seek One guys are prolific journalers. Uh, Johnny journals everything. Johnny journals the people that come to his house, the deer that they saw while they were there, the people that when he put them on spots, what they saw, their experiences. He's got like a little book in his place separate from his own personal whitetail journal where he journals everything that he does with the place and improvements and what guests came over. He writes down everything and he thinks about it and, and he looks at the outside influencing factors surrounding what he was doing and where he was doing it. And then he takes account for himself in the off season and then he uses that information 
to start his next scouting cycle. Journaling, if somebody said, what is the common thing between, with, with especially public land, with every great public land hunter that you know, what is the biggest thing? It's journaling. They all journal. And I don't know if it's journaling per se that's making them successful. It could just be the immense attention to detail. Yeah. But I'll tell you that it starts with journaling. And, and if somebody's like, I'm not successful, why? And it's like, well, you're making mistakes in the whitetail woods and you're not allowing yourself to learn from them. So we put a journal in the app and there's a journal in there and it automatically populates the weather, it populates the wind direction, it, it puts pictures in there it, and it catalogs all those things. Soon you're going to be able to set reminders so that you'll be able to get reminded of when you saw a three and a half year old deer that you want to, you were in his core area. And now you want to go back there when he's four or five. So the journaling piece is really the most important piece, I think, from what breeds success among serious hunters. Uh, and that can be done in a book or it can be done in our app. And yeah, that's awesome. You know, if that's incredible. With some pain, you can do that. Definitely. And I've been keeping a journal for the last few years and I actually, I really like the aspect of, of keeping it. And it does remind me because you think of times that you're in the woods and you're like, oh, I'll just remember that. No, you're not. You're not going to remember it. Come next year, you're going to totally forget about this spot, what you saw, everything. And it is kind of nice to be able to go back and, you know, your apps, I mean, that's going to be phenomenal. You're going to have reminders even. That's, that's. Yeah, you're taking it awesome. to the next level. That way you don't have to flip through pages to remind yourself. You you can, you know, you have this device and this, this product that's going to, basically provide that for you and really you're just making it more convenient you know yeah. you're not you're not changing anything you're just making it more convenient which I, which i love i mean you know, that's the biggest thing like you said the whole time is making this more convenient for people to get it done and that's what i love about the app now the uh we're i know we're running real short on time here yeah i want to be respectful okay. of your time here, um, one last thing you know i know that the app has uh like a historical data with the weather does that also provide historical data for the predictions that were each day? Because I think that's not what yet, but it will wanted. this summer. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, Excellent. it doesn't provide it yet, but it will this summer. We will put the prediction out this summer. You have to build a separate network to serve up all of that data because our network is real time. So we will be serving up a separate network. Well, when people are building their journal entries, they'll be able to do that, but then you'll be able to see the historical prediction on those days. Um, and then the second thing that I didn't mention about that journal is, and this was a, I think it was a Johnny Stewart request, either Johnny or Bo, but you'll be able to export it all to a printed journal. Awesome. So you'll be able to say like, you know, once you've been collecting this data for years, maybe you want to, you know, put it in your cabin and nice collated binder or something for your kids to go back and read. You'll be able to put that all in there and serve that up in a way that will, will, will be there for the ages, which I think is pretty cool too. And I hope that incentivizes people to journal. But yeah, on your question about prediction, um, we will be putting that in there over the summer. Really cool. I know uh, my dad has been keeping a journal since he was very young, and it's a private journal. How much do you love looking through that? Well, I'm not allowed. That That's the greatest oh. part. Here's the thing. He, he said, you know, this is a journal of every, you know, every kill, everything that's been through all the years, everybody he's been with when they did, you know, he's got all these years in this journal. And he said, you know, when I die you can read it at my funeral. So I, you know, obviously I'm not looking forward to that. Right. You know, but right. how cool is that going to be one day when I get to look back through that oh, journal, 
you don't see it's amazing 30 40 50 you know 60 years of hunting potentially in this thing and it's it's going to be really cool so that's like a memorabilia piece damn near you know now we run a journal at our camp where we do the basically the same thing but it's it's public information at least we're allowed to see that one but you know that's more of like a kill journal where we kind of record and keep track of where people have uh, you know, killed and, and when and all that stuff. So it, it's cool. Yeah. The journaling thing to me is, is pretty awesome. Touch yeah. I mean, I love it. It's, I, I, uh, I, I just bought my father's farm. My father died when I was five. I just bought the, he had a dream that while he was alive, that he would build a cabin with his sons, my brother and I. And he, when he found out he had cancer, he immediately quit everything he was doing and started building this cabin. Um, I remember when I was five building it with him. And uh, going to work, at least, with him and watching him build. And then when he really got sick with his cancer, all of my family showed up to, like, get basically get it to, like, the 90% mark. And um, he died shortly after that. And uh, I was just able to buy that farm back um, and, and put it back in my name and uh, resurrect my father's dream of doing this. And one of the first things that I'm going to do is probably pop like 250 or 300 bucks on a massive leather bound journal that's going to sit at the front of that cabin and every time any of us go there or anything i'm going to make it available for the rest of my family so if my brother wants to take his kids there and, and be for the weekend or whatever the only thing is they have to write in the journal i love it that's awesome man and and, and so that really summarizes hunting it's it's getting out there and learning and providing and testing ourselves, um, but then you add that little bit more to it where you document it and you share the entire process with everyone around you, and you can look back on those things. You can learn from them. You can re-experience the moment. You can re-experience the harvest. You can share the food with your family, and if I and my company can participate in that in the smallest degree and, and do it in a way that is efficient and cheap, like our, our free app, puts property data on there. People can download the app for free. They can drop pins. They can look at a forecast and they can see property data and public land data. I put that out there at our own cost. That costs us money to store that data, to serve that weather, to do the property data. I put that out there, A, because too many people have been profiting on too little for too long by selling that, reselling property data that you've already paid for with your taxes to people. But then secondly, I know that there are people who want to enjoy these things and do this stuff. And if I, if it costs my company and I a little bit of money to provide that to them, then maybe one day once they have that money, they will say, you know what? Spartan Forge was there for us for two or three years providing this stuff for free. I'm going to pay for this app for a year or two or do whatever. And if not, that's fine too. But they get to create those memories. They get to spend time with their family. They get to put food on the table. They get to do it in the way that our ancestors did it. Uh, they don't have to go to the supermarket. Um, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but they don't have to do that. They can experience life. They can, they can do their own, you know, little hero cycle with their kids. They can make memories that last forever. And if we have the smallest part of that, um, I am tickled pink about that prospect that every time I get one of those messages, it truly motivates me and makes me dig in and work that much harder when people go out of their way to message us and tell us that our application helped in the smallest way. So that to me is my life's work. And, uh, it, to me, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. <clears throat> Good for you, man. That is just, 
That's freaking awesome. I love that you're doing this and you have such a passion for it. It's really awesome. Uh, I, I do. I want to let you go. I want you to be able to go back and do what you're doing. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And I would love to have you back on again to, you know, really do some more deep dive stuff like that. But why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find Spartan Forge. Well, our website is to sign up for the application and you can use, you know, there are codes available through all of our pro staffers that you can find very easily in Instagram, or I can make you guys your own, um, uh, code. Uh, uh, if I haven't already, or if I haven't, I, I will make you guys a code. Your listeners can use your guys' code. Um, and then we can cut you a check from them signing up that way that, you know, you guys are making a little bit of money off of what you're doing and hopefully uh, be able to continue what you guys do love doing. Cause unfortunately it all takes time and money, but, um, uh, people can go to spartanforge.ai to sign up for the application. Um, it's spartanforge.ai as an artificial intelligence. They can go on Instagram and look us up at spartanforge. Uh, if you have questions about the application, about deer movement, whatever you have questions about, I, if they're not something that my first tier tech support can answer, in other words, hey, I can't log into my app or I need to reset my password or how do I do X, Y, or Z. If it's something like that, you'll probably get our first tier tech support. If there's a question where it says, hey, Bill, or I have a question for Bill, or there's a question about deer data or AI or about the military, um, I engage with people on there. I carve out two hours of my day every day to do it. Um, and so they can reach out to us through there. And if they have any questions or anything like that, I'm happy to help people out. Um, and uh, yeah, the SpartanForge.ai. And, you know, my next year we'll be doing our veterans hunt. And, uh, you know, the people that use the free app, I just hope they'll donate something to the veterans hunt. And we're doing that in Alabama this year. And I'm looking forward to doing the podcast surrounding that. And I hope everyone will tune into it. And I hope that we can just keep doing things for veterans in the community and for hunters and appreciate everybody listening. And that's where you can find me. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. This, is, yeah. this has been really, truly eye opening. And I hope it really has been for everybody else. But awesome, man. Really appreciate it, Bill. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you, guys. God bless you all. You as well.